Right, gang? You like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 318, Episode 2 of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into... America's shared consciousness. <laughs> I just dabbed for Daniel. Jack just dabbed. I dabbed because I accidentally dabbed before we started recording. Mm. And I just think it's still cool uh, when you do that Hell yeah. in your 40s. It's Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Less than a week away wow. from Christmas. Oh, right. Ever heard of it? Like the, the what? Ever heard of it anymore? America? Or are you too busy? But I, I don't know. Anyways, uh, trying to channel my inner Fox News host. It's not going well. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Do your nuts hang low? Are they huge and made of bone? Were they found wow. in Oxfordshire in the gravel and limestone? Is your scrotum like a boulder with a shaft like a light pole? Do your nuts hang low? That is courtesy of Christy Yamaguchi, man. He wanted me to do it as Chain Hang Low by Jibs, but yes. I, I'm more familiar with ear, Ears Hang Low by, like, Boy Scouts? I don't know. Whoever. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, it's a reference to the British doctor who fat saw the first dinosaur bone before people knew about dinosaurs and said, that is no giant uh, femur. That is, in fact, a giant scrotum. Mm. And... Well, here we are. The rest is history. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined in my second seat by a very talented producer, musician, streamer, esports commentator, the original editor of this show. He's constantly streaming everything everywhere because he is that bitch on Twitch. It's DJ Daniel Goodman! Yeah, yeah. AKA soon to be NYC Daniel. That's oh, right. Boo. I'm leaving this mortal coil of Los Angeles. <laughs> Putting on my most comfortable down jacket and braving yeah. the cold, Tim's. bitter winds of New York City. Yeah, I'm getting my Tim's. Have you figured I'll out how you're wearing your Tim's? Are you like lacing them up to like three loops below and then just having the tongue hang out? What, what are we Three thinking? loops, tongue out. I'm actually putting Tim's on top of another pair of Tim's. Uh, I'm trying to fully <laughs> Tim's on Tim's on Tim's. as much as possible. Yeah. I brought three Yankee fitteds. Wow. Uh, slightly different sizes, so those two I can wear on top of each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I've, I've, I'm, I'm trying to work into calling the weather brick. I understand that is the language. So, you know, working on it. The weather is brick, huh? 
Yeah, it's breakout. That's when it's cold oh. for all you. For all you. Uh, am I allowed to talk yet? Because it, I've, uh, I've, <laughs> you may. I've been living in no. New York City for a very long time. And I've never heard that. There you go. Yes, it is. Uh, it is slang that the youths are using. This is my understanding, at least. Daniel has his uh, ear to the to the uh, high school playground. To the, yes, he's, <laughs> well, they no, kicked me out. So now it's yeah, yeah. now it's a thousand feet away. So yeah. Yeah, who's that voice? Uh, That voice is someone we're thrilled to be joined in in our third seat, a prolific author of fantasy and sci-fi novels and nonfiction you've seen on the Discovery Channel series Contact. Uh, His nonfiction book, The Bronze Lie, is about the myth of the Spartan warrior and why it's so popular with everyone, but specifically white supremacists. Also, why it's Mm. completely full of... Uh, to quote him, so many holes it could drain pasta. I don't know if that's love a that. direct quote, but it's like a uh, analogy he used that I loved. Please welcome Mike Cole. The weather here is absolutely brick. Oh mm. shit! Good man. to know. Good Sorry to, to hear that. Yeah, Mike. Weather. That's- <laughs> thank you. No, seriously. Thank you very much for having me. I was so excited to be invited uh, i think like you know you don't need me to praise cracked i think you probably hear that enough so oh man thanks no yeah, I, yeah. not not yeah. anymore actually that being a thing but uh i i i've been thinking about uh greeting all our expert guests with a weather how, how was that for you pretty good pretty good in yeah. fact when i lived in dc uh they came to i don't folks remember they came to a bar they were doing like a tour I, the guys, guys from made, that ad oh yeah and, and the thing that's, that's so cool. amazing is imagine that making millions of dollars for just that's what you do you walk into a room and you go what up what yeah. up i mean it's not not that hard for me to imagine to be honest <laughs> with you all right mike uh we are going to get into the content of the bronze lie in a moment hmm. but before we do that we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better and ask them, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are? For me, most recently, it would be the email addresses for the staff uh, for my congressman. Because uh, if you Google Mike Cole, uh, Mike with a Y, of course, NPR1A, you will bring up me talking on national public radio on the crisis in the volunteer fire service. Something like 70% of firefighting in this country. Now, you don't notice this in LA, right? You're in a big city. You see paid mm. firefighters. That's not how it is in most of the country. Most of the country, mm. it's jack wagons like me who are doing our right. jobs and then a pager goes off and maybe we can go and maybe we can't. And uh, with climate change coming on and people not volunteering anymore, it's becoming a real problem. And it's become a real like cause for me. And I'm trying to get, um, I wrote a piece about it this late. I went on NPR and I'm trying to get Congress interested in it. Nice. Oh, yeah. What uh, you said, something's coming on. I don't know. Climate change is that like a weather front or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> weather, yeah, it's uh, just you know, it's I don't know if you guys have noticed. It's a, it's a little hotter, a little. Ah, uh, yeah, you know the weather. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't know about that in California. There's no fires nah, out there. We're, we're good out here. Things things are cool. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with why Daniel is leaving California. I'm sure. <laughs> nothing nothing to do with it. That's so. What would you? What would a better system be? Would it be to that they were not to volunteer? That there was a budget to fund uh, firefighting? Yeah, and this does not make me popular because a lot of volunteer fire, firefighters are militantly proud. When you listen to that NPR show, you'll hear the other two guys who are on there are just like, I I don't I do not want to be paid, and I'm like, I get that you don't want to be paid. 
But unless right. we have a national paid fire service, maybe not tomorrow, but five, 10 years, the house that burns is going to be your own. Like it's going right. to be a problem. And it's, yeah. it's just getting worse. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to ring the bell on it. It's not cool. And also the other thing too is look, the fire service were tied up pretty tight with the police. So there's a lot of like baggage there, especially with the young people that we need to recruit. Right. And so like, I don't, I don't have a solution, but the conversation needs to get started and it's happening in New York state a little, but I, it needs to be happening nationally. That's what I'm pushing for. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So that, that was something, I think that was one of the first climate like horror scenarios that really like popped into my brain and like stuck there was the idea that it gets hotter. There's more fire, like wildfires. There's more wildfires like belching shit into the air, which isn't like the main cause of climate change, but it could, it can't be good for it. Doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't help, especially when you're not doing anything else to address climate change. And then Mm -hmm. it creates this kind of vicious cycle. Just, I'd be curious to hear more from you about just what, what climate change looks like from inside the world of firefighting. I mean, people think about fires, but I'll give you, and I'll give you a perfect example right now. There's a massive hurricane hitting in Florida, and mm. it's sending unbelievable rains up here. My pager has been going off all day. We have floods. We have wires down. We have car accidents. Nothing's burning right now. But yeah. you got to remember, the firefighters do a lot more and fight fires. My mm, pager's right. going off. Jack, I can't go. I have a yeah. job. I have yeah, a job. You're I, talking to us. I get off work. There's somebody on top of their car about to be swept away, and <laughs> you're like right. talking to us. Uh, right. I, hope, exactly I hope that's right. not true. <laughs> you know, taking a break off from work, I will yeah. be able to start answering my pager in the evening, and, and when when those calls start ha- uh, coming in. But also yeah. keep this in mind: I train part time. Firefighting, mm-hmm. like one time somebody at a, I can't remember it was a party or something called it unskilled labor. I almost knocked this dude out. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Like, we have to know everything from tying knots to running equipment to binding wounds to calming people down to building construction to the physics of fire. I mean, there is so much to know. And I'm training on nights and weekends part-time, you know. If I was a paid full-time professional, and this is the only thing I had to think about, how much better at this job would I be? And this is an important job. I mean, look, I, I say in the Slate article, most of the time when I screw something up, it's okay. Some of the time when I screw something up, somebody dies. Like this right. stuff is serious. Yeah. So, and the thing is, the thing that's so frustrating about it is that like this decline of volunteerism, like I do, I definitely feel like I'm screaming into the clouds or something. Like nobody cares. I talk about this stuff and we always have to wait until it's a crisis. I mean, did you guys get the um, haze from Canada in LA? You didn't, did you? No, we didn't no, get I a feel haze. Like- Okay, from, so from Canada, California did. I oh, think, yeah. oh, maybe some Northern of, California uh, did. Yeah, I think some of Cal- yeah, some some of San Francisco certainly did. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I you are gonna love it here. <laughs> you come oh, out great. here, man, because it looked like Mars. I am not kidding. Right. Yes, like, I, I remember. Yeah. I was in I was in dust storms in Iraq, and I came yeah. out my door and I was like, oh, this looks familiar. Yeah. But and like and like, how much of that do we need right. before we before we're like, huh? We might yeah. want to take this seriously. So, right. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff, you know, I, we, we've talked before about how Joe, Joe Biden's like, well, you know, we need to fund the police more because they're our 
psychiatrists. They're our, you know, and like lists all these jobs that fall to the police because they're not funded publicly. But we've also talked about the idea that like some of the jobs that we currently throw to the police can be done by, Mm -hmm. you know, skilled labor that is does not have a gun, Mm -hmm. you know, shocker. So I don't know. I I guess I hadn't really put volunteer firefighters into that category until this conversation. And that's on me. (laughs) I I just thought about you, Jack. Like this is not something we go around teaching people, which is why I'm look, you know, I'm very, very lucky. I have a small public platform and I'm able to, to use that to really drum up an issue that I really care about. But what this has also pointed out is that I'm the kind of person when you invite me to a party and you want to talk about something like, I'm going to ruin it and you should not invite me because it's going to get dark. It's going to get serious. And by the time I walk out of there, you are going to be so depressed. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. That's right. Yeah. Similar. I, I think people expect a certain thing from somebody who works in comedy. And then I'm like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) maybe not always. What is something Mike, do you think is overrated? So overrated is us. We are overrated. I am so sick of our faces and our opinions. I have said, and I say this on an NPR show, the only thing anybody means, no matter what they say on social media, is look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm -hmm. And this is a question I have been trying so hard to tangle with because we have a fucking opinion on absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. Now, you will find no more intractable foe Vladimir Putin than me. And you will find no greater pro-Ukrainian partisan. And every time I see someone flying the Ukrainian flag, I want to bring a map of Eastern Europe with the names of the countries blacked out over to them and say, will you please show me Ukraine? And we yeah. all know that 99.9% of them will not be able to do it. Can you tell me the difference between the Don and the Zaprosian Gussets? That's really important to who the Ukrainian people are. But yeah. you've got a strong opinion on what's wrong. And that sure. stuff, because we sell our asses out here, right? If you mm-hmm. if you go viral for like the some of us literally, say again, Dan. <laughs> I said some of us literally. Well, yeah, selling our asses out here. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Dan has oh, a massive oh, oh, oh. Uh, following on OnlyFans. It was a terrible joke, but yes, please subscribe to OnlyFans. <laughs> but the uh, but you you go viral for lighting a firecracker in your ass, you know, like you're you're set. You could be those what's up guys walking around, you know. Mm-hmm. So we are so incentivized to commoditize, to sign our name, and center ourselves. And I keep thinking about for like what you guys do and for what I do, we do public facing work. We can't not use social media. And a lot of the time we are selling ourselves. I mean, comedy is so personal. I just shot a spot for the History Channel. They didn't just pick me because of my historical expertise. They picked me because of my look, right? Mm. So how do you do that? How do you center the work? You know, what am I doing here? Instead of crossing that line into look at me, I'm, you know, trying to turn yourself into a brand. And I don't have a solution to that. But that whole culture, which we can all be forgiven for buying into because it's what's for dinner, that is the thing that is the most overrated and the thing I'm most sick of in this world. It's the only thing on the plate. It's the only thing that's for dinner. Yeah, in a lot lot of respects. It's it's tough. What's something you think is underrated? Underrated is saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Underrated is admitting that there is a limit to what you are able to be certain about. And as an historian, this is critical. Mm. So you will see, hopefully you saw in the bronze lie, that I present sources and then I go, and here's what I think happened based on mm-hmm. those sources. 
Mm. And I think like most historians that come out there and they go, the Spartans were this, or, you know, this is what happened here. And I'm always sitting here being like, motherfucker, there is no way you could be sure about that (laughs) based on the data you have. And and I think historians don't want to do it because look, dude, if we keep saying, I don't know, what the hell do you need us for? You could do your own research like Alex Jones, you know, like, what what do you need us for? But the truth is, what, what, what is our job? Our job is to be the walking cliff notes, man. I went ahead and read Thucydides and Xenophon and Herodotus and went to museums and read all these boring same, historical journals same, so that yeah. you don't have to. Now I can come here and explain <laughs> it to you, give yeah. you my, my opinion, but it is an opinion. Yeah. And that, that ability to present expertise and be like, yeah, I'm an expert on this stuff, but man, I don't know everything. I mean, look, Robert McNamara was an expert on defense and foreign policy, and Vietnam didn't work out so well, did it? <laughs> Why? What happened? Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bad. Fog thing. of War is an amazing uh, documentary. Yeah, yeah. More and more, I think that that you, the way you write, the way that people who are kind of forward facing with that caveat of we think, I think people sense the truth in that more than yeah. I can. I remember reading historians and it being you can tell that their editor was like your voice is so authoritative we love it and it's like well that's that's speaking authoritatively on something that happened three thousand years ago is probably misleading (laughs) like just to to say the least i I have a great quote uh from my co-author and mentor and and dear friend michael dr michael livingston I, i really hope folks will uh, check out his work. His last book is Agincourt. He's a medievalist. Uh, he's amazing. And he once told me that as an historian, you have got to be committed to getting it right, not being right. And that mm. is something I have carried with me into the rest of my life. It is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. Mm. Now, the this episode is not about first contact or uh, UFOs, but <laughs> you were on the contact documentary and I was going to find a way to shoehorn this in anyways, but uh, I, I do think coverage of UFOs and what what's out there and what all the data means is is a place where this very thing is somewhat important and missing a lot of the time is like, you know, well, do we know we don't we actually don't know what all this means. We don't. I, I think that's what's interesting about it is that it's hard to like find a definitive answer given all the clashing facts and uh, videos and eyewitness testimony that we've seen. What What is your take on that as a part-time historian? Ha- how do you think about the, the UFOs? Specifically UFOs you're talking? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that 99% of the most convincing stuff, including the Nimitz Carrier Group stuff, like it's just not, there's no there there. But there really? is, there, oh, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, look, you know, look, I'll, I'll probably, uh, Discovery's not going to be thrilled with me for saying this, but one of the things, when you do reality TV, they put one minute on for every hour that they shoot. You know, they can right. make you say anything. And Mike and I went in there, and we were like, this is bullshit. This is not true. And we went ahead, and there were a couple of things in there that we really were stumped on. Mm. If you look at the episode where um, there was soil that was rejecting water, we were we were like, this is, we don't know what this is. But there were a lot of things in there where we were like, this is nonsense. And when we watched the show, they were like, they, they cut it. You know, they cut yeah. it to sell the story they wanted to sell. Now, 
does that mean that I don't believe in aliens and UFOs? No, absolutely not. That's not a responsible position to take. Uh, I certainly would not be shocked at all if we find things in the future. There was an incredible article about poison gas emanations that we just detected and radio signals that cannot be explained. So there's definitely the possibility out there. But in terms of the mystique and swagger that that Discovery portrayed in that show, Mm. I mean, no no way. But I'll say this, it's funny because all, look, I, I try to be a serious historian and all of these uh, fans of my work will come to me and be like, how could you do this? How could you do that ancient yeah. alien show? And my answer was, motherfucker, I got 12 million people watching me. Yeah. 1% <laughs> of those people go look at my history. I just right. reached more people than you will ever reach in your entire career. I right, think yeah. that trade-off is worth it. Also, right. TV is a blast. It's the most yeah. fun thing you can do. <laughs> Uh, I love it. And I that's why I just did this spot for History Channel. I want to keep doing it. Well, although, yeah. gosh, uh, I guess I should warn networks. Like, eventually, if you try to make me say bullshit, eventually I'm going to tell the truth. They were just like cutting it. You were like, I think that, uh, like, Nimitz class carrier is sense. <laughs> what you said you think it's sense? Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not far off, Jack. You're really not far off. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we're going to have to have you back to explain the Nimitz carrier stuff, because that that's one of the ones that I'm like, damn. Let me let me give you an example. There's one scene where a you will see a UFO go from a completely stationary position and break off to the left. Mm-hmm. That is a bead of water on the flirt camera lens. Mike and I prove like it's that's what it is. It's not a UFO. And then there's this other scene where like, my God, it's hovering. And it's like, no, dude, the camera's on gimbals (laughs) and it's rotating. So it looks like it's hovering. It's moving. Oh, interesting. All right. Interesting. Let's take a quick break and we will come back and talk about the bronze lie. We'll be right back. Zeit gang, customers are rushing to your store, but do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it, you know, like a literal POS? Well, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Connect with customers inline and online. Look, you want to use TikTok? Well, guess what? They have plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns on platforms just like that. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, I was looking at Shopify.com, and I'm trying to get some answers. Let's say, uh, you know, how to bustling retail business. And I need, you know, maybe uh, some hardware to be able to sell my wares on the street, take credit card payments, whatever. And I know Shopify is easy to use. Half the time I buy something online, I'm like, oh, yep, they're using Shopify. And if you need to learn more, check out their website. It's super easy to navigate whether you have questions about how you can optimize your inventory or, again, looking for hardware to make sales easier. Shopify.com has all of that. Just go there. Check it out. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash TDZ, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. 
Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And... Season 5 promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island, and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. And we're back. And Mike, until reading your book, I hadn't realized how much the Spartan myth is just fucking everywhere. Like, I, I of course, remember the movie The 300. I recognize that it has been incredibly, like, has just st- stuck around and becomes this, like, myth and this meme, or this meme that, like, Trump riffs on. And... I definitely at the time was like, man, there's some weird ideas in this fucking movie <laughs> at the time. But yeah, I, as you point out, like I hadn't really put it together. Oh, yeah, there's so many high school sports mascots, college sports mascots. And it feels like a lot of the uh, most famous names in history are kind of obsessed with this myth. And so mm. you went in, started kind of poking at it and questioning whether Spartans are the greatest warriors to to ever live as as depicted in 300 and elsewhere and when you wrote about that in the Daily Beast and the New Republic you started getting death threats so i kind of just wanted to start there because i think that drives home like what what is important here like how this how much energy below the surface is riding on this shit. Like, who are the types of people who you think are threatening to kill you over this? What are they so mad about? Well, let me let me be clear. Like, I think the types of people who are threatening to kill me with this, I can't prove it. They're probably 14-year-olds, like, in their parents' sure. basement. I wasn't too yes. uh, terribly Most frightened. Certainly. But uh, I think that, first of all, I think that the Spartan myth, it isn't just the far right. It's all of us. Our whole mm-hmm. conception of what it means to be a man that you endure hardship, that you stoically and without complaint, you know, stand in the gap. Like that idea comes from this ancient Greek concept of arete that's conveyed to us through the Spartan myth. This whole idea of being a strong, silent type, being a man of few words, that doesn't exactly use the word Spartan. It's tied to that. So it's not just like the far right, although that was what I sought to come after with that book because it was really bothering me. But it really is it's in the air, man. Like it's, it's how we came up. And I think that's important to recognize, but the, the best story about this other than the death threats is Mike fucking Cernovich. That dude, oh, wow. <laughs> he posted on Twitter to his 1 million plus followers back when it was Twitter. We should be careful. Right. It wasn't yeah. X. Uh, he goes, this dude is so afraid of the bronze age mindset. He's talking about me that he wrote a whole book about it. And he tweets a picture of the cover of my book. To his one million followers. Great. Thank you. And he's thank you tweeting out the cover of my book to one million people. 
And I'm like, if even 1% of them rage fight, and they did, Jack, it was a very good day for me. Wow. <laughs> so so the, the, the far right's reaction to it. But what, did it, what does it say? It says that this to them is a religion. It's an article mm. of faith, right? This symbol, it's, so to us, it's what is 300, it's a movie. To them, it's the cross, man. Like yeah. that's, that's serious. I think, yeah, we, we end up talking about that more and more that as religion has faded in our day-to-day lives in America, like things are replacing that. That, that that's not exactly how we view those things, but it comes up when we're talking about the unprecedented power of like Taylor Swift or the myths <clears throat> in the Star Wars universe and why people view you know, a Star Wars movie with a woman protagonist as like an affront to the very core of their identity that I I think that's right. I think more and more the stakes on the these kind of non-religious like things we view as pop culture are actually like life and death to people and like their entire personas are like shot through with it, like down to a spiritual level. Absolutely. And the Spartan myth plays on this really great human insecurity. Dude, you are not good enough. You are too weak. You are not tough. You cry too much. You're not working hard enough to get after your goals. Look at these people. Look at these people who could withstand any privation who would die rather than surrender. Be like them. And, And honestly, that idea of a religious avatar that's in almost every faith. That's Jesus Christ. That's the prophet Muhammad. That's the Buddha himself, right? If yeah. you don't know how to act, just watch these people and act like them. And the Spartans are the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some pretty straightforward ways, pretty straightforward like aspects of the Spartan myth that uh, we see in 300 that you kind of go back and debunk. Like there's the myth of how they treat children who aren't like, Mm-hmm. Who aren't like born with a six pack and like immediately <laughs> able to like do 20, <laughs> 20 pull ups when you like yeah. hang them over a cliff that they like throw them over into the sea. Nope. And I feel I feel like that's a very potent part of the myth because it's like, well, they did it. So what are you going to do? But at the same time, it's also like a profound endorsement of, of eugenics. Right, right. But also, like, Jack, this yeah. is the important thing. They didn't do it. They right. didn't. Yeah, exactly. They right. loved their children and they raised them. And there's right. all these examples of it. King Agesilaus II, who was one of the most famous warrior kings of Sparta, was born with a club foot. Right. He was limping. And like, it was, it's just bullshit. It's hot, mm. buttered bullshit. And the thing that's so frustrating is that all it takes to stick a pin in this balloon is you read the sources. Like, I'm reading the same shit that's been available for 2,500 years. Where the fuck is everybody? You know, like, you know, all I did was keep score. Like, none of this stuff is a secret. None of, and the thing is, people have been talking about it. Like, I'm certainly not new to this, this conversation. I'm just the first person to systematically sit down and in a pop narrative aimed at regular people Lay it out in a book. That's all. It's not, it's not, or, like I said, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, Trump just started like openly saying in campaign speeches that illegal immigrants are poisoning the blood of America. It, 
this just feels very kind of everywhere and like it's not going away. Right. And, and, and Jack, like I hear the desperation in your voice and I feel it too, man. Like I, I cannot believe we're back here. And that is part of what I did with this book. Like this was an act of desperation. Like what can I do? Where can right. I strike a blow? You know? And this was one of the few places where I felt I could. I can speak the truth about something I care about. Yeah. And you did learn the languages, which I was going to do, but then I saw that you did it. So I don't, I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, so probably I got work, you sick. So I'm, I'm happy, yeah, happy to cover you. <laughs> not uh, not going to do that now. So I hadn't realized that one of the things that is notable about Spartans from a historical perspective is that like they didn't leave that much or like they, they were like it's called Lacana. Like it the it has the same like worship of Spartans has the same root word as laconic, right? Mm -hmm. Because they weren't like giving a lot uh, mm -hmm. of information. One one of the details that I found particularly interesting is like they they seemed to have a sense of branding. Like you mentioned this idea that they kept mystery about themselves by not fighting the same opponent more than once. Mm-hmm. Which feels wildly impractical. <laughs> like if you're, well, like, but also keep in mind that that is the legend, right? That's the and legend. We certainly okay. know they did fight the same opponent more than once. And in All fact, right. there are repeated battles against the city state of Thebes, which modern day is known as Theba. They wound up being defeated by tactics because the Thebans, I think, had a really good idea of what they were going to bring yeah. to the battlefield. So, yeah, it's always hard to play an opponent the second time, as anybody who follows sports would know. But <laughs> it just the idea that they would only fight an opponent once, like, suggests, like, even the idea that they would, like, put that out there about them suggests that they're, like, the Harlem Globetrotters of war, that they just, <laughs> like, are just, yeah, we, we kind of put on a show. We're like a road show, but, like, you can't, can't let you see it more than once. So I look, and I can't prove this, but if, 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 I had to, if I had to give my educated guess, I would say that they didn't start that, man. The Athenians started that. And one of the things I did in the New Republic piece is showed that, like, we don't have any writing from Spartans. None. It's all fanboy stuff from outside. Mm -hmm. It's Xenophon, who is this, like, huge Spartan. Like, this dude loved the Spartans. And, you, and, and, and Thucydides, who was an enemy of them, and her, you know, they write this legendary stuff, and I think somewhere along the way, the Spartans looked around and, was, and were like, holy shit, we got something going here. We need to lean into this. Uh, this is working out. I think that's probably what happened. Mm. Yeah, it feels like throughout, it is this fantasy of being able to, like you say at a certain point, like people aren't machines in the book. Nope. But it seems yeah. to be the fantasy of the Spartan myth, like at the time, and of like fascism in general, like turn humans into beautiful war machines, take away the softness, the fallibility, the inconsistency of humanity. But of course, that's a fantasy because that is the human condition. Like all of those things are part of you the human it. condition. Yeah, you nailed it. But it seems like the ideal of the fake Spartan society that made its way down to us over the decades was both their fantasy and our fantasy. So there is like something universal and powerful about it, which is what makes it so kind of terrifyingly powerful and t so terrifying that it's, you know, being allowed to rise back up because it's kind of, it's kind of always there. We just had a sense of how dangerous and powerful it was for so long 
And now we're back to a place where it's being allowed to just kind of run rampant again yep. across the world. Well, sort of, and being, being being marshaled to a specific political end. Like, here is this, what icons can we use, right? You know, we're, you know look, we as the modern Trump movement, you know, raising the cross is probably not going to work for us here, although he's popular with evangelicals too. I just do not understand that, but okay. Sure. So, but we could pick this up, man. I mean, yeah. that video, I don't know if you've seen it. it it's incredible. Uh, there's a video with, it's 300, it's the scene where, the Persian messengers are kicked into that pit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is Sparta. Mm-hmm. And it's Trump's head over, like, glued on yeah. to, and it's Soros and Obama getting kicked around. Man, by the time I found that video, and this was years ago, it had been watched five million times. It is amazing how powerful this stuff is. Yeah. And, of course, that movie came out in 2006 when, like, Obama was first becoming a thing and, you know, has gained popularity. And, man, they love to put Trump's head on the body of just, like, a ripped (laughs) soldier, don't they? They sure do. God. Look, I've been very, very lucky not to see him without a shirt on. But I am pretty sure, Jack, you don't look like that. Hmm. All right. Let's uh let's take a quick break and we'll come back and keep busting this myth. We'll be right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island and secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love 
into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, so this one is kind of unrelated, but it's a thing that whenever I read about or hear about like ancient Greek city-states going to war with one another, mm. I think in my mind for most of my life that those were like massive armies of people, but aren't, weren't the communities like fairly small? Like what? I, mean, it, it, I think it varied. Uh, you know, you see figures of ten thousand uh, thrown around all the time. Certainly, the armies are, are bigger in some battles and smaller in others. I know phalanx on phalanx battles of a few hundred. I certainly compared to modern armies. You know, modern professional armies. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different game um, yeah. in terms of the of the number of personnel that can be marshaled. But it does vary. I mean, we do have battles of of tens of thousands, twenty thousand that we that we see. It's it's quite a few. Yeah. It's just like the idea of like how many people were in Sparta at the time when they were at their height, like just in the society in general. Oh, well, here, here we go, Jack. And I will tell you, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I can find out, but I don't right. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I have an answer to that question. Sure, sure. I don't. I'm a there military historian focusing on this. But one one important aspect of ancient Greek warfare that I do think is worth mentioning that people are very confused about, specifically when it comes to the Spartans, is this idea of professionalism, is that the average ancient Greek hoplite, which is what we call the, the, you know, the heavy infantrymen with the bronze armor and the shield and the spear, that was not what they did, man. They were farmers or they were mm-hmm. leather workers or whatever it was they were doing, mostly farmers. And you would, the, the horn would sound and you would run to your olive shed and you would grab a rusty old spear and a shield that your grandfather had handed down to you. And you would muster in the square with no training and almost no command. And the, the way they fought this phalanx, this block of dudes with shields overlapping, was designed so that amateurs could pull it off. And that belief that professional warriors of any kind, uh-uh, and certainly not the Spartans either. Huh. So they, how did, did, did they just get the reputation through sheer tyranny of like of will of people like wanting that to be a real thing or no no i mean they did one thing different so in in most ancient greek city states you have populations of young people right they grow up they they start jockeying for power and you send them off to found a colony here you go Mm -hmm. go get a boat go 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 make a town over there do your own thing and that's how most greeks dealt with that but not the spartans and largely because they weren't on a, a seafaring people so they were the first, or maybe not the first, but among the first to subjugate their neighbors. And when they subjugated them, they enslaved them in a caste-based slave system, which is to say, your kids will be born and die as slaves. And that was almost unique. The Salians did it too. And because those slaves were doing all the agricultural work and the housework, well, the, the knights of Spartan society, who we call the homoioi, they were free. They were free right. to and people think they were free to train for war, but we have no evidence that they actually trained for war. We see them playing sports. In fact, Aristotle tells us that the Spartans were tougher than other Greeks in the field, not because they trained hard, but because they trained at all. 
And the reason they were able to do that was because there was a whole society of slaves handling all their shit for them. Wow. But just digging back into the film, like it's so thoroughly coded with eugenics. Like the oh, yeah. the person who dooms them is like this hunchback who is mad at them because he wants to get to fight, I guess. And they're like, or just like join their society. And they're like, this ain't no, everyone gets a trophy ass society. We are Sparta. And then he's like, all right, well, then I'll cheat and like get you all killed. And like, so that's on top of the babies all being thrown into <laughs> into the it's ocean awesome. for not being able to do push-ups. It's nonsense. It's yeah. nonsense. The, yeah. the, the whole thing that Ephialtes, which, by the way, is the modern Greek word for nightmare. That's how fucking famous this dude is. This dude who never existed is, right. is that it's a secret path across Calidromo. I have been to Calidromo. I found right. every path over that mountain in a few days. There's no secrets there. And you're going to tell me that Xerxes, the king of Achaemenid Persia, which was the biggest and most sophisticated empire in the world, didn't do the basic reconnaissance to find the paths over the mountain? Of course not. They knew. Right. And they hired local Malian guides, the people who lived there, to show them the way. And yeah. that, what was considered a betrayal by the Greeks, right? These fuckers, they, they went over and worked for the Persians. Who the hell could blame them? In a lot of cases, you have a much better life working for Xerxes than you did for for Leonidas or, or any other uh, uh, Greek king, that became this figure of Ephialtes, this deformed hunchback who was who was a betrayer. No, no, it was this was good intelligence on the part of the Persians. Yeah, there's a part where you talk about a poet having to emphasize these values because they need these values to actually be held up, like they need. Yep them to be more I, I remember writing about this back in at cracked that like a lot of the samurai myth some of the misconceptions about samurai are based on like the laws of the samurai that were written because samurai did not like the the idea that samurai were super loyal to their master is based on these laws which are were put in place because they were not loyal to their master <laughs> right. like they were free it was like be, the equivalent of, you know, a modern day professional athlete. Like they're like, no, I'm going to go to whoever pays me money because that's. And so they wrote these laws to be like, you must be the most loyal. And it's like reading the high school student handbook and being like, man, those high school students in the United States in the 70s were incredibly obedient uh, right. it turns out it's like wait what right. the fuck are you talking about it's like reading, yeah the, the student the student conduct code you know yeah. you, you should yeah. not plagiarize wow man these people never plagiarize yeah nope. <laughs> yeah but it seems like there's some of that happening in in sparta as well right oh absolutely you're exactly right and to that point on the samurai the the tv show shogun is about to come out which is a fictionalization of the actual real life Shogun Tokugawa Yasu and his conquest uh, of, of Japan turns on a betrayal. It turns on switching sides. So yeah. like all of that loyal unto death stuff, guess there's some exceptions, right? Yeah, turns out. But what, what are some of the values that get emphasized with Spartans that w weren't actually there <laughs> be, well, beyond look, throwing their children over? Yeah. Right. And I want to be I want to be clear here. Uh, you know, one of the things that kind of bugged me about this book is I absolutely wrote this book to, to deflate this icon for the Mike Cernoviches of the world and for the, the real far writers. But 
what's happened because of the erosion of discourse in this country is that a lot of people took that book and were like, yeah, the Spartans sucked and like trying to use it to clobber people. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Spartans did not suck. They were humans, right? Mm. They were extraordinary sometimes and they were lame sometimes like we all are. And that's the thing I'm driving at. So when we look at the poetry of Tertius, that's the poet you're talking about and the things he extols, Certainly, some Spartans were not doing those things. He was not exhorting them to press. So one of the things, the values, don't get hit in the back, right? That means you're running away. If you're young, don't let the old people fight. Get out there in front of them. And get up in your enemy's face. Put your shield on his shield, your foot next to his foot, close enough to kiss him, and do the job there. These are the kinds of things that the Spartans are legendary for. Did they all do it? Hell no. But some of them probably did. And that's yeah. important to remember, too. And the poetry is so, what makes me crazy is that there's so much that's fascinating about the Spartans. Like, look, 300 Jack, it's about a a disaster. They lost, you know, all these friggin' NRA guys come and take them, you know, like come and take their weapons. The great quote of the Anandas, Jack, Xerxes came and took them. After three days, he cut that dude's head off. He took their weapons away and he paraded his head on a stick. So that's the cry of a loser. Why are you, why are you shouting that? Why not talk about real Spartan successes? Why not talk about the times they really were extraordinary? And that poetry of Tertius, I'm so glad you brought it up. It's beautiful. And it talks about real valor. It talks about how to be a warrior. And admitting that not everybody lived up to it doesn't make it any less extraordinary. Hmm. And the fact that for most people, they will never even know about Tertius except listening to you on a popular podcast talk about it, it breaks my heart. All they know hmm. about is friggin' bigoted shitty movie which tells this crap story about people who never existed yeah going back to the movie you know 300 is not it's by far not the first movie to glorify soldiers or this kind of training style or fighting in a way that you know bends history a little bit or a lot of it and just portrays this lifestyle that has you know been co-opted by right-wing people or just in general bad actors, as it were. And what I'm kind of curious about is, and I know you are a, a real history historian, and maybe not a pop culture historian, but what do you think is the inflection point for this kind of narrative that allowed 300 to exist? Like before this, we had movies like Gladiator. We had movies like Braveheart. We had movies now, of course, not the exact same thing, but these movies that portray warfare, portray this kind of very like, you know, powerful, strong, proud warrior fighting for their people etc what is the inflection point that allows 300 to exist and why isn't that the thing that people held on to why is it spartans these days yeah that is a really fascinating question (laughs) and 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 like i don't know that i have an answer for it but i do see one positive sign in a pop culture reference and it is john snow fighting I don't know if you remember, uh, in Game of Thrones, that scene with shields pressing in and all of them being crushed together and the absolute bloody, futile chaos. The, what George R. R. Martin evoked throughout Game of Thrones, both in the books and in the television show, the capricious randomness of how Ned Stark was killed. This idea that these great events and the turnings of them are so chaotic and random and that, that violence and the unpredictability of it and what it does to people, that is a change I'm seeing. I mean, there have been 
books before All's Quiet on the Western Front. There's that famous poem, Dolce et Decorum Mass. People have been talking before about how truly horrible war is. And I speak as someone who's been rocketed and shot at. Uh, and I certainly look, you know, I, I went to Iraq a true believer, right? Like I went there to do something um, and had a firsthand experience of how futile that was and how when you introduce violence as a means of policy and try to change people with it, how that is completely not going to do what you want it to do and not useful. And I do see something in the pop culture that's changing. And as we live through Gaza, as we live through Ukraine, as we live through Africa on fire, you know, and like, it looks like the Strait of Taiwan might be next, right? With what China's doing with, with the Philippines. There is, I feel, a shift in the public's tolerance for that myth. And I see that in the push for a ceasefire right now. And the, and the sickness with Hillary Clinton coming out there and going, well, you can't have a ceasefire. Well, I'll hold the monastery group and people being like, all right, well, that's nice for you in an air-conditioned office. There's people dying out here. How about that? Yeah. And that is something I didn't hear growing up. I never heard it. Or if I heard it, I heard it from peace nips and hippies. And now I hear right. it from everybody. So maybe the inflection point is now, Dan. And, and if so, man, God, look, I have spent my entire life either at war or studying war. And you will not find someone more committed to ending it. Like, there, it is just an absolute evil. Amen. Well, Mike, thank you so much for uh, joining us on True. the Daily Zeitgeist for writing the book. And yeah, where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm easy. My name is spelled M-Y-K-E-C-O-L-E. So if you go to MikeCole.com, spelled that way, you'll pull up my website. I am using social media. Look, Social media, you got to use it when you're in public-facing work, but it's poison. I don't care. <laughs> oh, Threads is going to be better than X. Threads are going to be better than X, and here's all the people I'm going to block. Threads is not going to be better than X because the problem is us, and right. we're on Threads. So yeah. you will find me in all of these places and variations of that name, X, uh, Facebook, Threads, uh, Instagram, as Mike Cole, but don't expect me to post much, and certainly don't expect me to weigh in on political and social issues about which I know nothing. There you go. Is there a work of media that you've been enjoying? Yes. Uh, so I would like to direct people to the Instagram account of an author named Christian Cameron. And you can find him at, at Christian, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N underscore Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N underscore author, A-U-T-H-O-R. The reason I want you to check him out is not just for his writing and he paints toy soldiers and he's a total nerd, but he is a real reenactor. He is a guy who gets every stitch of thread, uh, every uh, scrap of metal and rivet in the armor that he wears exactly right. And he goes out there and he fights. And if you want to understand how ancient medieval people fought, you can read every book in the world. You can go to every museum in the world. But until you put on that gear and you get toe-to-toe -to, -toe to someone, you will not be able to ask and answer the critical questions. And he does it, and he does it right. And if you see those pictures, you will be looking into the past. And it is amazing. Uh, can you give an example of like one of the things that you feel like you figure out from the reenactment? Because you kind of mentioned that in the book, and I that was kind of new to me. I, I wasn't really familiar with yet the idea of using historical reenactments to actually do research. Sure. So one of the big questions among ancient warfare nerds—I don't think anybody else cares about this—is this idea of that when the phalanx clashes, clash, did they push shield to shield 
and push against each other? Or did they stand off and fence with their spears? And that actually makes a big difference in how those battles were fought. And then you can check that against the written sources and tell if these guys are full of shit or not. Mm -hmm. Well, when you get behind a shield, I have discovered, some people disagree with me, but this has been my experience. Man, I do not want to be three feet away from you. I want to be right up there where I can use my ass and where my face isn't exposed because I'm up close. Like when you're, what happens when you're boxing with someone and you feel outmatched? You grapple, man. You don't stand back and get punched in the face. And the point is, these kinds of little questions, you can only answer them by doing them. And for years, professional historians, scholars, PhDs, they really, and they don't do it anymore, but they used to really look down their nose at nerds making the armor. What are you guys doing? This is this is cosplay. No, no, no. It is not cosplay. It is history. And that account I just gave you, Christian Cameron author, that is the best example of it I know. All right. Amazing. Daniel. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for joining. Where can people find you, uh, follow you, and what's the work of media you've been enjoying? Honestly, you can. Uh, I deactivated Twitter. I'm barely using Instagram anymore. And nice. I am divorcing myself from social media entirely. So well I would done. prefer it if you didn't find me. <laughs> um, <laughs> to answer my question from, it's not really a question from earlier, but when you're talking about being in a public facing kind of area uh, or a public facing business, like we all are, I have, and I'm very lucky to be in the position that I am right here. I love working with Jack. I love working at iHeart. I love making podcasts. And I have found that using my position now to platform people who would like to use their voices and be out there is the best use of my work in forward facing media. So instead of being like, here's what I think about something, I'm in the business of here's what this person thinks about something and trying to do that as opposed to saying whatever the hell I think, because truly it doesn't matter because what I care about is smash burgers and who is currently winning dancing with the stars, even though the season just ended. So Honestly, my opinions are so irrelevant. It was Sochi Gomez. Did you see the? Uh, Do you see the? Uh, the um, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. She plays. Yeah. Um, I can't. I literally can't remember the Marvel superhero's name because there's so many at this point. I can't remember. But she was in that, and she was great, and she was really good on Dancing with the Stars. Anyway, that's not the point. A piece of social media or a piece of media that I have been liking that is not that is the new Miyazaki film, The Boy and the Heron. Go see it. Go see a movie, go see an animated picture, go to the movies and participate in the culture of Japanese animation of Hayao Miyazaki, an incredible director. Go see the movie. And uh, if you haven't had yourself a nice meal, go to someone who's cooking food on the street and go get it. If you happen to be in Los Angeles, go to Brothers Cousins Tacos, my favorite taco stand in Los Angeles, because I will be deeply missing it when I leave for the East Coast. But yeah, other than that, go support your local business, go see a movie, and then go follow Mike. There you go. Thank you. My pleasure. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien, liking things like uh, this tweet from Jesse McLaren, who tweeted, shout out to the Beach Boys for landing on the festive lyric, Christmas comes this time each year. (laughs) (laughs) And then Andy Ryan tweeted, uh, two elderly English ladies greeting each other. And it's aloe vera and evening primrose oil. The aloe vera. Evening primrose oil. I just enjoyed that. Nice. Good, wholesome Twitter good. fun. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Footnotes? Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. DJ Daniel Goodman. 
Is there a song that you would recommend to people? There, is, there always is, and it might be a little much for some people. But since I rarely get to come here, I'm going to I'm going to sing the song of drum and bass that I love so much. A, a British group, Chase and Status, just released a new album called Too Rough Volume One, and one of the songs in that album called On the Block is such a massive tune i am just in my car gritting my teeth driving the speed limit but with my hands tightly gripped on the steering wheel just banging my head so if you are into something that is going to keep you up at night or power you through a long drive or get your workout going whatever it is that you need something driving to get you going go listen to chase and status's new album too rough volume one the song on the block is a real like ooh, it'll get you moving song so anyway that's my recommendation on the block right. with chase and status we will look awesome. off to that in the footnotes the daily yes. zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go to listen to podcasts. That's going to do it for us this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what is trending, and we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.